Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to our tech radio show for this week with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Thank you for downloading from our website at techcentral.ie using your favourite podcast app on your smartphone or listening on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. This is our show for the week ending Friday the 4th of September and joining me as ever is Niall Kitson at Tech Central HQ and a little later on he's going to be talking about uh, to our special guest, our special interview slot on the show this week about big data and there was a phrase that came up in the interview and I just loved it when I was listening through to it was uh, data is the new sci-fi and you'll be amazed at what kind of stuff they're measuring and how they're measuring it and how it would affect your very life and indeed maybe even the next burger that you took into Uh, but first Niall I suppose the real big tech news uh, this week is IFA, the big tech gadget show in Berlin yeah, IFA in Berlin. Uh, at one end of the year, we have CES, and at the other, we have IFA. And I think they both have sort of comparable cultural impact at this stage. Uh, so I just sort of uh, did a quick sort of uh, broad sweep of what's going on in tech and what the big brands had to show up. And I think some of it you'll be quite interested in finding out about, and some that you'll go, why? Okay. Why? 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 Because sounds... technology is good that way. Okay. Tell me, tell me what's impressed you. Okay. Uh, one of the first things that I, I saw and I thought, oh, okay, right, that's kind of interesting, was uh, what uh, Lenovo is doing with their tablets. Now, you, you might remember their yoga tablets. It was basically sort of um, uh, almost netbook quality PC and the screen flipped over and around and it turned into a, a proper tablet, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the interesting things about their new line of uh, Yoga Tab 3 Pros is uh, not just that they, ha- they have a nice um, HD display, but they also come with this hinge. And inside the hinge is a 70-foot projector. Uh, you mean something that can project up to 70 feet? Up to 70 feet. Wow. Up to 70 feet away. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the business use is fairly obvious. You know, you're, you're setting up in your, uh, your office or whatever and you're teleconferencing or, or what have you. But for anyone that enjoys, say, using a projector instead of a laptop to watch movies in the home or a projector instead of a television, you can use it just through this tablet, which is kind of, kind of funky. Um, otherwise, it's kind of a standard tablet, really. I mean, you've got a 13, uh, megapixel rear camera, five megapixel front camera for your, you know, your conferencing. It's got uh, an Atom processor with 2.4 gigahertz performance. It's got um, 128 gigabytes of storage space, as long as you have a micro SD card, 16 or 32 gigabits on board. Uh, so it's it's a nice little piece of uh, piece of kit. Again, it's it's only differentiated by the um, projector. That, that's, I think that's a really nice add-on. It is, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not kind of, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, it's, it's a nice, it, it, do you know what, that would have been brilliant 15 years ago. <laughs> really? Yeah, I, it just, it's not doing it for me. It's, uh, projection has been and gone, if you ask me. But anyways, listen, what, what, oh, what else? That's, that's a, okay, right, we'll move on. I'm not going to row with you on that. 
Um, <laughs> another big thing, Intel uh, showed off their whole new line of processors. As we know, Intel has sort of, they, they haven't done well in the mobile space, so they're sort of consolidating. They're, they've pretty much gone, okay, Qualcomm, mobile, fine, whatever. Uh, we are about PCs, so we're going back to basics by servicing the PC market. And they've got a bunch of new processors um, under the Skylake sort of brand, I guess you might call it, or Skylake range. Uh, and they're they're going for the whole bat. I mean, we're starting at sort of regular, um, how would you say, hybrid devices going all the way up to the high-end um, PCs. So um, Acer have come out with a couple of really nice gaming PCs under the Predator brand, and they're boasting these Skylake processors. Just to give you an idea of what sort of goes into a, a gaming PC these days, um, there is a 15 and 17-inch model Predator, Predator laptop. Um, so 17 inches, you don't really see that often anymore, but these are retailing between $1,500 and $1,600. Mm. So you've got NVIDIA GTX 980 graphics, 32 gigabytes of RAM, mm-hmm. 32, mm-hmm. 512-gigabyte solid-state boards, uh, solid-state drives on board, um, full HD uh, image on the 15.6-inch, but there's also a 4K option as well. Um, so it's, you know, this is the, the degree of forward-looking that's going on at the moment. I mean, we don't need anything that requires 32 gigabits of RAM now, but we might down the road. We've nothing to see on 4K at the moment, unless you're doing the trials on Netflix or something like that. Mm. Uh, but we certainly will down the road. Um, there's also a lot of very aggressive cooling in these machines as well, seeing as um, when you've got that much firepower going, you're going to need a very good cooling system as well. So that's sort of what Acer are doing at the moment. Um if, if one was in the market for a laptop, would you go buy a gaming laptop with a view to well, longevity? You see, that's that's the thing. For for gaming, if you really, really, really want to do gaming well, you're going to be plugging that thing into a big 50-inch LED uh, monitor or something like that. Um, does the, And to do that, you would probably have a big games machine, a dedicated games machine sitting right beside the thing. Laptop strikes me as an unusual platform for playing games on it seriously uh and then also yes. you've also Although got the problem with, with with laptops and and the thing with gaming and laptops uh, uh is that you, it's so hard to upgrade a laptop you buy it and that's pretty much what you got Do you know what i mean it's so easy to to update a a, a tower a games machine well, that's true, yeah. But people do like the portability uh, that comes with a laptop, especially mm. if you go to a lot of LAN parties and stuff like that. Uh, it certainly makes sense. Do you, do, you know what you what, do you know what would have made it absolutely fantastic, though? What? A little projector in the hinge. <laughs> that would definitely put it over the top for that a lot would of do people. It. Anyway, I listen, a game, games laptops okay. aside, what else has uh, caught your imagination? Right, a blast from the past. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember Sony? Do you remember they used to make great stuff? Yeah. Do you know what? Sony used to be the brand, didn't it? You know, and I'm, I'm talking I back to the, in the eighties and up to the mid nineties. Yeah. If it, you if you had Sony, it was it was Sony quality. Yeah. It was. The more you think about it, Sony was the Apple of the eighties, early nineties. Put Sony on, on anything, you could charge a premium for it, and people would go buy it. Because they knew the quality was there. The Sony um, Vile laptop oh. was one of the best laptops you could buy. 
Uh, I remember the if you're talking about going back to the 80s I'm thinking of like Trinitron yeah. Trinitron TVs now that was a thing yeah. to have in your home yeah you're, you're actually you're right Did, are Sony going to make a comeback if they got something cool that's going to put them back on top well here's here's something that will divide opinion I think um, Sony's way back into the mobile phone market because they're not doing particularly well in uh, in mobile they're not doing particularly well in anything at the moment to be honest but um, uh, aside from PlayStation and movies, but they are uh, they're pinning their hopes on the Xperia Z5 Premium, which is a smartphone with a 4K screen. I let that sink in. A yeah. smartphone with a 4K screen. Well, the, the 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 stunned silence is for why it's the same reason. Why would you want to play games on a laptop? Why do you want to have that quality of screen screen in something that's? I want a four K fifty inch TV. That's where I want my four well, we K. We we can talk about that in a second, but yeah, I mean, you know, the Z five comes with three gigabytes of RAM. That's nearly as much as my PC. <laughs> Well, it is the premium model. Uh, what are they saying is the advantage of having all this, you know, kind of high def uh, and, and, and huge memory in your pocket? Yeah, do you know what? I mean, the applications aren't there yet. It's, it's yeah. pure, we can do this. Otherwise, listen, you know, 5.2 inch screen fits nicely in the hand. Nah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have asked what impressed you. I should have. <laughs> listen, Nothing seems you, to have impressed me at all. No. Uh, what about two, surely 4K and a big 15 screen? You, you had a little hint of something exciting there. Yeah, I got some news in 4K, and it's actually bigger than that. It's a, I got a 65-inch 4K TV from Panasonic that is going to blow your socks off. It's the T... I'm not even going to tell you what the, the model number is. No, no. It's like, got like seven digits. You're not going to walk into a shop and, with a piece of paper and go, have you got the blah, 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 blah. You'd know it when you see it. Yeah. It's a 65-inch 4K TV uh, that uses OLED technology, which is organic light-emitting diodes. Uh, and one of the interesting things about it, and there's two interesting things. One is that um, for the color correction, they worked with a Hollywood colorist called Mike Silla, who worked on films like Oblivion and Insurgent. Oblivion being the Tom Cruise film from a while back. So a proper mm. colorist, if you will. And he's given sort of his stamp of approval on it. He said, yep, this is kind of... I see what you're doing, trying to bring you know films to the home in the way the director intended them to be seen, or the cinematographer intended the colors to be. That you know this is the way to do it. But also super important, it is THX certified, which I think is Ooh. the first 4K TV Ooh. I've come across to be. So, oh, now that that has impressed me. That I would like to see in action. Yeah, because most most of the time you buy sort of a thin TV, and what's the first thing you sacrifice? Straight off, straight out of the box. Sound quality. I mean, the, the screens are so thin, there actually isn't the real estate there to put in a proper sound system. I so think that these kind of, anybody who's serious, though, would have it plugged into something serious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <know>? yeah. <laughs> I, uh, that's probably the best way to put it all right. I mean, yeah. you, can't, you can't buy a screen on its own. You have to have a home cinema system or a stereo or something. If you're going to do it properly. Listen, finally, because uh, I want to get into the, uh, the, the data piece because it's a uh, uh, brilliant... Um, any of the Chinese manufacturers impress you at IFA? Yeah, Huawei have come out with something of a flagship phone. Now, Huawei is kind of interesting in that because they're Chinese, and maybe that maybe this is an unfair thing to say that because they're Chinese, but as a Chinese company, they tend to replicate what other companies do really well uh, for less. 
So Huawei can come out as a budget brand uh, with a smartphone that will do pretty much, you know, the same as what its its premium price competitors can do uh, and do it, I guess, properly, you might say. So uh, the Mate S is their latest uh, phone. It's got a 5.5-inch screen, full HD display, which, uh, you know, it sounds passe in, in comparison to the Sony model, but when you think it, think about it, why would you, you know, it's enough. Mm. It's, it's enough. And of course, it's powered by Android. It's got um, a 1.5 gigahertz processor, uh, 32 gigabits uh, or 64 gigabits of internal storage with three gigabits of RAM, three gigabytes of RAM, and uh, a fairly lean 156 grams with a fingerprint sensor. That's a lot. Now, never mind sort of 13 megapixel main camera, uh, 8 megapixel front camera. Um, that's a lot of spec to pack into a phone that is going to retail at you know budget level, really. I mean, it's it's got to come in around 200 euro. Um, sort of without sort of any sort of carrier subsidies or anything like that. It looks like being around 650 euro, but again, that's sort of the German price that they were showing off in IFA. God knows what it'll be if and when it actually lands over here. It doesn't sound like a budget phone if it's retailing at six hundred and fifty quid. Well, I suppose. I, well, I mean, what's what's the um, six 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 to eight Galaxy S four six 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 to eight hundred quid for the for the for the S phones uh, six eight hundred quid for an iPhone uh, six eight hundred mm. quid for for a Note. So he, I mean, you're way up at the top end of the scale. Way yeah, yeah. But what they are squeezing in there is, you're right though, I think though, it's, it's gonna come in underneath those premium brands, but it is going well, to deliver to. bang for buck without a shadow of a doubt, like, you know? Yeah, because Huawei doesn't have the same brand cash behind, behind it. Mm. Anyway, listen, more reports uh, along with pictures and all kinds of stuff on IFA from uh, Berlin on the website at techcentral.ie. Let's get into our interview of the week, though, because earlier in the week, Niall spoke to a guy called uh, Cronin McNamara, and he's all about big data, which is something my uh, brother works at, and I find it a, a fascinating area. And instead of doing big data with, you know, kind of websites or tax inspectors and that kind of stuff, this guy does big data with food among other things. And I love the introduction. Have a listen to the introduction. The bit about data is the new sci-fi because it's so true. Here we are. I'm speaking now with Cronin McNamara, who is the founder and CEO of Creme Global and who is also the founder of Predict, which is an event that's happening in September. Uh, So... I guess one of the things that I would like to talk to you about today is sort of uh, the idea of big data and its predictive role. But uh, in one of the pieces of um, collateral that I saw, one of the advertisements for uh, Predict was this strapline, data is the new sci-fi. So are, are we getting to the stage where we don't need sort of the great fiction writers, the great thinkers to sort of prognost- prognosticate on the future if in looking at information that's already freely available out there, we can say with some degree of certainty that we know where society, human behaviour, maybe even things like climate change are going. Yeah, thanks, Niall. Yeah, I think in our, in our ad in the Sunday Times, we said something like data can predict the future better than sci-fi ever did. And I think the role, there's so much data out there now, and I've heard statistics that the data sets are growing at such a rate that only less than 4% of current data ever gets analysed. So the rest of the data is just archived and never made use of. So that's a huge challenge because of the volume of data, but also a huge opportunity. And there is a lot of information in that data. um, And we feel that 
if you can get decision makers or analysts to have the right tools and understanding uh, and working with people who understand how to work with data, they can make better predictions. Now, I don't know if it's ever going to create or replace science fiction because there's a huge role for creativity and imagination and you know imagining the future and asking the right questions of data so there, there's definitely a, a creativity needed as well as well as the number crunching in order to, to extract value from the data and when we talk about what what data out there is actually being used you say that there's only four percent of it being actually investigated properly people tend to get a bit um uh, a bit wary about this because when people think of data they start with things like what's in my email and they go all the way up to what what is going into my fitness tracker and what happens to it when it gets sent off to maybe fitbit or sony or or something like that so uh, what kind of information uh, are you looking at for one and how concerned should people be about the amount of data they give up about themselves okay yeah there's a huge amount of data being tracked and, and stored by devices and the internet of things these days and it's measuring everything as you say from their fitness tracker to their dietary intakes and their location and how they get from a to b using maps etc but um, so I think people will start to realize that that data is valuable and that they should own that data and not just give it away for free to these apps and companies. So that's all going to have to be played out in the next you know, number of years, how, this, how the data ownership and, and, uh, and allowing other organizations to use your data will play out. But from our point of view in Creme Global, we don't really deal with that type of data at the moment. We're a predictive intake modeling company and we work with large data sets which could be gathered from market research or from government research or food um, analysis and chemical analysis of products by industry and governments. And what we do is actually combine large data sets that are, that are created for various purposes together in order to help industry and government make better decisions around health and product formulation. could be anything from nutritional scenario analysis for a whole population, like we did a sodium reduction strategy here in Ireland with the Food Safety Authority of Ireland, We've looked at fragrances with the whole fragrance industry and looking at, well, what's in products? What products are people using? How much fragrance are they getting exposed to via all different sources of exposure? That type of thing. And when you're looking at these data sets, where exactly are they sourced from and what kind of problems do you have in deciding whether to use a data set or whether to leave it? Good question. Um, so the the... Some of the data would, would actually come from marketing companies who actually survey industry and supermarkets and consumers. Or like They'd have panels of consumers who would voluntarily provide data for you know, what products they're buying, how often they use a product. And then other data comes from government research who sponsor large studies like the CDC, the Center for Disease Control in the U.S., every two years. A caravan drives the width and breadth of USA, stopping in various locations and surveying consumers and measuring their bloods and measuring their bodies and everything about them. So, and they they produce that data, make it publicly available every two years. But it's a massive data set. But what we do then is combine that data set with uh, in, information from industry around maybe chemicals or you know um, crop protection products that are being used and how much they're being used and what are the regulations around those kind of things in order to understand exposure and risk for the, for the population. So you could potentially put together two data sets that uh, would ostensibly appear to be completely disconnected, except for one common thing, like maybe, you know, men in America or a specific geographical area. 
Exactly. So, yeah, we have to be very careful about the data sets we choose and they have to be representative of, you know, the, the model or the, rep, the, the population that we're trying to create some prediction or, or information about. So we're very careful about getting high quality data. And yes, exactly. So the value, I, I suppose, Creme Global adds to all of this data is that kind of scientific model where we can combine data sets that weren't designed to be dis- combined by using smart algorithms like Monte Carlo simulation or, or various things like that, which can help us deal with the uncertainties in data when you're combining two things that were never designed to be combined. So in sort of looking at that raw material, is there a definite need for a, a global standard to say, you know, this information was collected and we can verify that it, it is correct? Very much so. And I've, I've seen that in the business analytics space recently where there's large companies providing business intelligence data but the source of that data is never 100% clear and whether it's up to date or whether it was government um, stands over it or whatever so I think having having a real um, traceability maybe even with the data where it came from how credible it is and 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 then an, uh, I suppose opinion from the community of how valid that data is representing whatever it's supposed to represent is going to be very important. So some kind of standard or linked data structure. I'm not sure if you've come across the open data initiatives where governments are trying to push out data, but in a structured format. So it's easy for organizations to access that data in a structured way so that they they can understand that, you know, the data without too much scraping of, you know, information from a PDF or something that's difficult for a, an analyst to do. So there's lots of work there to be done, and, and that's part of our, our thinking in Creme Global, is that we actually pull and curate data from all over the world. We have Chinese data, South America, USA, Europe, even Middle East data. And the value we add is actually that checking and QA of the data, validating it in our models against published literature, so that when our clients can use our models, they know that the data is being really carefully curated and installed in the, in the system. And you made mention there of a project you're working on, on uh, coming up with a sodium reduction strategy. So how exactly did that work? Yeah, so first of all, you're trying to benchmark the, the intakes in the Irish population of sodium. And you do that by looking at their food consumption data combined with their demographic information and the sodium concentrations of all the different foods in the marketplace. Um, and then you can profile that population at the first instance. And even that... It, um, that data set would have hundreds of thousands of records and it'd be quite a complex data set. And this is our kind of bread and butter here in, in Tremblobel. We do this for countries all over the world. The second step then is, well, what's driving sodium intake for different demographic groups, for males, for females, for different age groups? Which, which categories of products are the real drivers of sodium intake? And we can isolate that using the data. And secondly, then you ask what if questions, like what if scenarios, like what if we reduced, say, white bread by 10%? Our, our breakfast cereals by 5% and assume that people continue to consume foods in a similar manner. You have to make certain assumptions. What would be the impact on diets and, and health? And in fact, you can actually quantify the health impact of that by understanding the, the, the intakes of sodium on those scenarios. Well, Krem's uh, sort of raison d'etre at the moment is sort of following uh, kind of food-based project, projects. Uh, however, with the PREDICT event that you're involved in coming up, you're looking to expand that brief uh, to sort of look at much wider kinds of data. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes, yeah, so ten, Krem Global is 10 years old this year, and my background is in predictive analytics, and I worked in financial risk and, and various other analytics sectors before 
you know, researching this whole food safety and nutrition area that, that ended up starting the company Creme Global. So we wanted to kind of celebrate the rise of predict, predictive analytics and data in the, in the business community and in government. Um, our business is 95% outside of Ireland, so we travel and to meet our clients, go to a lot of conferences and see a lot of great speakers. So my thought was, well, let's invite our best speakers we've ever seen um, in different conferences, talking about interesting things around data and analytics and bring them to Dublin and then invite others from other sectors who we, we may not have ever, you know, had much in, in common with in the past. But, but I suppose what is in common across the whole conference is data, first of all, predictive analytics, and then thirdly, just making trying to make better decisions using data. So, you know, we have a good feeling for how, how that's done in our sector, but we want to explore what's going on in other sectors so we can learn from each other and share, share the best practice. Uh, it's very interesting that you, that you brought up the financial sector there at the moment, especially in terms of what's going on in China at the moment. Uh, so what kind of risk factors do you think people are looking at in markets? There's so much going on, and I suppose it's always been a, a rich research area in data and, and um, analytics in the financial markets. A lot of the you know physics graduates would go into finance the kind of heavy duty number crunching so they they would be looking at anything from trying to predict trends in the markets to understanding the risk to kind of pricing up complex securities that could be very you know long-term agreements that you know you pay certain interest rates and foreign exchange rates in in return for a, a fee and and then the whole area of you know technology being used in the financial markets like algorithmic trading and finance and high frequency trading so that's a really um, busy area with uh, tech, predictive analytics and technology. So I think other sectors can learn a lot from the financial markets, not that they get it right all the time, <laughs> but they certainly um, have been putting a lot of investment into researching methods for predictive analytics. And that'll be another interesting question, like why why do we end up with such volatile markets and you know not being able to predict economic um down, you know, um, problems in, in, in advance, and we've kind of experienced that here in Ireland, and that we'll try and thrash some of that out at the event with, with some of the speakers like Konstantin Gurdjieff and others who will try and help us understand that. And um, just in, in terms of looking at um, analytics as a as a field, I mean, it is still incredibly young when we when we look at it. So, where does Ireland stand uh, in this field? I think we're really well positioned actually to become a you know an important location for predictive analytics like we have all the the major stakeholders here we have all the multinationals you know who are born on the web and big data you know driven companies like the Googles and Facebooks and even the Airbnbs we have the you know the other large technology players like the IBM and HPs but also we have you know, a very strong research base in the Insight um, Centre for Predictive Analytics, which is the largest predictive analytics research group in Europe. Um, we have, you know, we have a, a really strong technical, I suppose, community building up around all of that. So I think you know, uh, also data centres, I think we're becoming a very popular location for data centres now. It doesn't particularly matter where the data centre is, but um, it's certainly another opportunity to understand the technologies used in data centers and build the value added i suppose extra layer of predictive analytics on top of data do you think that's a, a kind of a, a very interesting matter of optics that it, when people see so many data centers setting up in ireland just, people just start thinking ireland data possibly and hopefully <laughs> <laughs> hopefully yeah i think so um 
you, t- you hear about the climate being optimal and all of this stuff, but I think it's more about the the infrastructure and the the, the talent, I suppose, uh, and being able to deploy and run these kind of centres is is really important. And and I think Ireland is getting a very good reputation for for that. And if somebody wants to find out a little bit more about the conference, uh, where can they visit? Yeah, so uh, www.predictconference.com. If you have a look on the site, you'll see the speakers, the partners, the schedule, and it's all really coming together nicely over uh, two main days on the 15th and 16th of September in the RDS in Dublin. And the third day, there are workshops which span things like data ethics, which we touched on, you know, data privacy and ethics, um, health analytics, um, and predictive analytics itself in a more deep workshop environment so yeah it's really really coming together so it's predictconference.com and that was Niall Kitson talking to Cronin McNamara from Creme Global that is about it for our show for this week uh, just before we head off Niall uh, tell me one thing on the website that we didn't get to talk about in the podcast what should we be checking out yeah great Irish good news story a uh, Limerick student has come up with an alternative to expensive scuba gear that has just won the James Dyson Award for uh, innovation. So go on to techcentral.ie, have a read. It's a great good news story and it's about an Irish innovation. Excellent. You get that along with the early updates on tech news, along with the daily newsletters as well at techcentral.ie and of course our weekly tech radio show online and every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. So next week, from myself, Dusty, and from Nile at Tech Central HQ, take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.